just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast, moving through yet another week. Hope it's going well for you. We're getting ever so much closer to the big holiday weekend, Christmas weekend, at least for those of you that celebrate Christmas. And people are bopping around, their crowds, their parties, they're all these sorts of things. But yet, we're still in the middle of a pandemic. It started out with COVID, seemingly like, oh, 15 years ago, it seems like. Then it turned to Delta. Now it's Omicron. Now, in yesterday's podcast, I was talking about how crazy quick it was spreading. Three weeks ago, it was 3% of all the reported cases of COVID. Then three weeks later, yesterday, it was 73% of all COVID cases reported. You want to hear something even crazier? I saw some stats today, one day later, and now they're saying 90% of all cases reported are Omicron. That's fucking nuts. That is spreading quickly. Now, they are saying that um, this virus, this variant, a little tamer than uh, Delta or COVID-19. It's a lot easier going, but that doesn't mean we should not protect ourselves. You need to make sure you have your vaccinations. Make sure you have your booster. That will help you with the Omicron variant that's currently out. Make sure you mask up when it's appropriate. Now, I'll be the first to say I don't like wearing masks. But if somebody tells me I need to wear a mask, I wear the fucking mask. That's just what you got to do. You don't whine and complain about it. You put on the goddamn mask. Now, whenever I do the podcast, I'll frequently say if you have questions, comments, or complaints, all you have to do is reach out to me at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Yeah, send me an email comes right to me. I'll take a look at it. I'll address it either with another email or on the podcast like I'm going to do today. I have uh, three such emails, so we're going to go through them. And uh, a couple of them have questions, but this first one doesn't. It says, hey, Mike, I found your podcast on Spotify this week while looking for something to listen to while at work. You have moved to the top of my go-to listening daily. Thank you for all that you're doing. Have a great holiday season and a happy new year. Best, Fred from Illinois. Well, thank you very much, Fred. I appreciate it. He didn't have a question, but he complimented me. So that makes the show, right? (laughs) Well, I got a couple of other uh, emails as well. This is a gentleman by the name of Gordon. He has written before. He says, good morning, my friend. I was wondering if you could address the fact that our Justice Department is doing jack shit about charging or opening up investigations on these dipshits, getting away with all of these crimes these douchebags are doing. Trump, Bannon, Roger Rabbit, all the other fucktards, his word, not mine. The Dems are too weak, and they will never do anything to make these people accountable. Thank you, Gordon. I know what you're saying, man, and I've said the same thing. It looks like the DOJ and Merrick Garland aren't doing much. It looks like they're slow walking this or ignoring things. But that's all we know. 
we don't know for sure that that's what they're doing. Because with these kinds of cases, they're not going to advertise it. They're not going to throw it out there and say, hey, we're doing this so everybody can protect themselves from what was coming. Now, here's the deal. Merrick Garland is a very principled guy. And there are certain norms that you don't do, apparently, with the DOJ when you're dealing with a president or uh, elected officials or people who work for the president. And I understand that. And over the years, that's what's been done. What we're dealing with currently is unlike nothing we've seen in history. We've never seen this kind of crime. We've never seen this kind of corruption. So that calls for a different response. And that calls for a response from Merrick Garland and the DOJ. Because here's the deal. This stuff was so flagrant and so blatant and in your face that if they don't do something about it to hold people accountable, even though it's outside the norm, they're just asking for it to happen again and again and again. And we're not just limited to the Republicans because times change, conditions change, power changes. The Democrats are fully capable of doing the same things. In fact, they might say, well, the Republicans did it so we can do it. We don't need to shut this down to shut down the Republicans. We need to do this to shut down all politicians and stop them and make them feel accountable if they want to do something to upset the election or overthrow the country. There is no room for flexibility in this thing. So I understand your point, Gordon. I understand it looks like they're doing nothing. And that might very well be the case. Maybe they aren't doing anything. But I tell you what's going to happen. When this January 6 committee starts releasing more information and doing these televised uh, uh, hearings after the first of the year, there's going to be a lot of shit going on out there. More types of information regarding crime and corruption than we've ever seen before. This is going to make Watergate look like a kid's party. There's no comparison. So there's going to be pressure on Merrick Garland, not only by the Democrats, but by we the people. I mean, the bottom line is when you're in politics, you have a lot of masters you have to bow to. But public opinion is one of the biggest. And what's important to think uh, for us to do is if, if when all this information comes out and it still looks like Merrick Garland isn't doing anything, well, we need to put the pressure on. I mean, take a look at what happened to Joe Manchin. He says, no, I'm not going to uh, vote for the Build Back Better bill. <laughs> well, this guy's got fucking barraged in the couple of days since that happened. And guess what happens now? Well, Joe says, well, I'll get together with Joe Biden after the first of the year and we'll talk some more. He was absolutely sure he wasn't going to vote for the Build Back Better bill, but he caved a little. Joe's my friend. Joe, Ma Joe Manchin and Joe Biden are best buddies. He wasn't mad at Joe Biden. He was mad at the White House staff. So after the fact, we are going to talk about it. You had the uh, United uh, Mining Union come out of America and say they were mad at Joe about not passing the bill. Joe's got a lot of problems. He's getting a lot of heat and he doesn't like it. He's the guy that used to fly under the radar, collect his money, get his under the table money, and all was cool. 
He's still getting the money, but now he's taking a lot of heat, and I have a feeling he doesn't like it. So my point is, we put pressure on Joe Manchin. He decides, well, maybe I'll negotiate with uh, Joe Biden after the first of the year. Same with Merrick Garland. His better judgment might tell him, well, we don't really want to indict a president, or we don't want to indict a chief of staff. But the pressure will be so big because a lot of information will be out there. He will have no other choice. He will have no choice or he'll be out of a job. The fucking country will hate him and he will have a problem. Now, that said, we don't know. There may be some things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about. And that's not so crazy to think about given the fact that these are high-profile cases. These are types of cases that we've never seen before. They're very serious, and they're involving very high-level people. So it would be natural to keep it on the DL until you're ready so you don't screw it up. So I understand your point, Gordon. I agree with you, but we really don't know what's going on as yet. And if he's truly not doing anything when the shit comes to light, you watch Merrick Garland adjust his stance because he's going to have to. Thank you very much, Gordon, for the uh, question. And uh, we got one here from a gentleman by the name of Robert. Hi, Mike. I really enjoy your comments and podcast. I've got a theory. I think I know why these guys are willing to deny a subpoena and risk getting convicted by the DOJ. They have come to understand that doing so will protect their family and loved ones. Somewhere, somehow, the mob or the Russian mafia have threatened to kill family, loved ones associated with the politicians or individuals who testify against Trump. Think about it. Why would they believe that a prison sentence is better than betraying their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump? They believe there is no other choice because snitching on Trump results in worse outcomes. And Mike, keep up the good work. You're like the Thomas Paine and his common sense. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with Thomas Paine. I knew a little bit about him. I had to had to uh, Google him. I mean, I knew he was from the Founding Fathers in 1776 and such. And he wrote some papers that had a lot of impact on people back in the day as they were looking to separate from England. <laughs> One of the things I found kind of interesting, the, the two things he wrote was uh, Common Sense in 1776, and that had a huge impact on this country, regardless of how small it was at this point, and then the American Crisis. And they date this as 1776 to 1783. I don't know why the stretch in time. I haven't read it, so I don't know anything about it. But what was interesting in the Google, in Googling him, it said he had a lot of impact in, uh, <laughs> in uh, motivating the people and the patriots of 1776. <laughs> oh, wow. Now, I know what that means, and I know it means literally the patriots in 1776, but if you bring it in today's terms, <laughs> that sounds like Trumplefox, right? They love 1776, and they call themselves patriots. Anyway, Robert, I appreciate the uh, kind words. And in as far as um, there might be some threats from... Uh, a mafia or Russian mafia or whatever. In normal situations, I would say that's absolutely a fucking crazy conspiracy theory. 
But with all the things we've heard and seen with Donald Trump, it's really not that crazy. I mean, when you think about it, remember, I've talked about this lawsuit that came up around 2016. It was a lawsuit where Donald Trump was a co-defendant with Jeffrey Epstein. And this lawsuit was about raping a 13-year-old girl. We're hearing more about it again, and that's probably going to crop up again. But that was going on, and then all of a sudden that woman and that lawsuit disappeared. Was it because she had better thoughts and didn't want to lie about Donald Trump? I think not. We know that Donald Trump goes out of his way to threaten people. He's done it before in his business, and it's not surprising that he might have done it while he's a politician. The whole idea of being a bully and threatening people and trying to play games and game the system, that's not out of the realm of possibility with Donald Trump. It's just not out of the realm of possibility. He fucking does it all the time. That is a common trait with a bully. See, that's what bullies do. When they can't win, they get in your face, try to intimidate you, and get you to back down. You may be right. You may be on the right side of the situation. And they know it, so they're just going to bully you until you're too afraid and you back down. So the idea that that might be happening now with Republicans, Trumplicans, and all these people, that's not all that crazy. However, I don't think it's the American mob. I really don't think that. Because Donald Trump worked with American Mob, but he was too much of a joke to actually be part of it. Nobody really wanted anything to do with him. All they wanted to do was get what they could get from them. Uh, So the Russian Mafia thing, I don't know. I mean, we know the Russians have been behind getting Donald Trump in as president, cheating for Donald Trump. We know that Donald Trump owes the Russians a lot of money, so he's in a bit of trouble. And they have some vested interest in Donald Trump being taken down because they'll never get their money, and he's their guy. So I suppose that's possible, but I don't think that's even it. Here's something you have to understand. Let's talk about Jeffrey Epstein. How did he make his money? Seems like nobody knows how he made his money. Well, we kind of do know how he made his money. He made his money with blackmail. He had all these young girls, and he'd bring in these wealthy people down to the island or into Manhattan or out to New Mexico, where he had these places. He'd set these wealthy and famous people like uh, Prince Andrew, Donald Trump, maybe Bill Clinton. He'd put them in a situation that they really wanted with these young girls, but we know that Jeffrey Epstein had cameras everywhere. Now, why work for a living when you've got all this video of these famous people with underage girls? All you have to say is, I need some money, and if you don't give me some money, I'm releasing the video. So these wealthy people were paying tons of money to access these young girls through Jeffrey Epstein, and they were being blackmailed by Jeffrey Epstein. But here's the interesting thing. I was reading a story one time. The thing about it is, is Donald Trump and Jeffrey Epstein were pretty close. The thing about it is, Donald Trump was kind of a mentor to Jeffrey Epstein. Donald Trump taught him everything he knows as far as making money. So that's interesting, right? 
Because maybe Donald Trump is the one that uses blackmail and intimidation that way, and maybe that's how Jeffrey Epstein got to where he was, because he was being mentored, or Donald Trump was like his big brother. That's what they say. He was like his big brother. So if Jeffrey Epstein's being so successful at blackmailing and bullying people, who's to say Donald Trump isn't doing the same thing? I mean, this poor girl that had the lawsuit with he and uh, Jeffrey Epstein as co-defendants, here's a allegedly billionaire guy going to her and saying, look, if you keep this up, your family might be a problem. It might be a problem for you. We just saw this case. You know, about this poor woman who was an election worker in Georgia? She was just a worker. She was nobody special. But Donald Trump picked her out and started saying she was cheating and doing all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, all these people started coming at her. This poor woman didn't do anything wrong. Coming at her, threatening with her life, uh, threatening her family, threatening her home, threatening her work, doing all kinds of things. It was a horrible mess. And then when it came down to it, remember this story. This woman came to this election worker, and she was trying to game her. She was a public relations person who's big supporter and friend of Donald Trump and also represented Kanye West, of all people. And she sat down with this woman and she said, look, we know you're in trouble. We want to protect you. We'll take care of you. We'll get you someplace out of here. But you have to admit that you committed election fraud. She said, well, I didn't. We know you're lying. We know you're lying. You've got to admit it. See what's happening there? This woman is bullying, intimidating some poor woman who doesn't have any connection to anything to get her to come out and say that she committed election fraud. So they can say, see, we told you it's right here. Now we got to dig deeper. We got to decertify. We got to take longer. That's Donald Trump. That's how he does business. So do I think it's the mob or the Russian mob? No, I don't really. But I think there's a lot of intimidation going on, blackmailing, whether it's legitimate or not. That's what's going on. Now, we have a bunch of politicians on the Republican side. They probably have a lot of skeletons in their closet. And with those skeletons, Donald Trump made sure he knew exactly what they did. It's almost like J. Edgar Hoover. You remember him? Head of the FBI for a billion years. That was his big thing. I mean, J. Edgar Hoover, we find out now, was gay, which is fine, but he hated gay people. He hated black people, people of color, and all these politicians that could maybe run him out of office because they extended the period of time where he could stay in office. There was a point where he was required to retire, but I think President Johnson gave him a pass and let him stay on. Well, here's the thing with J. Edgar Hoover. He had dirt on everybody. I'd be surprised if somebody didn't have dirt on him, but they were probably too afraid of him. And this is the same way Donald Trump acts. He doesn't have any real substance in his business, much like Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey Epstein didn't have a business. He was just a fucking blackmailer, a bully. And his mentor, Donald Trump, was probably the same fucking thing. 
So in realistic terms, yes, I do think there are some politicians out there that are afraid to go against Donald Trump. They have to be. I mean, Donald Trump is getting dragged so much, they have to realize that they're going to get taken down with them. When he left office, I really felt like people would say, all right, he's gone. He has no more power. Fuck him. I'm going to admit he was wrong, and I'm going to try to get back my life. But they didn't do that. And that's weird. They kept following Donald Trump. Now, part of it is because he had a lot of support with his base, and they felt like he might lose, or they might lose voters because they went against Donald Trump. But again, let's go back to the intimidation or the blackmail thing. He did blackmailing in the wide open. He's doing it today. When you get a Republican that speaks out against Donald Trump, what's he say? Oh, I'm going to primary you. I'm going to get another candidate. I'm going to support that candidate. We're going to primary you and you'll get kicked out. And this is one of the reasons why people don't want to go against him. You see what I mean? This whole intimidation, blackmail, bullying, whatever you want to call it, that's going on in front of our faces. And I really think that that's what's happening now with the Republican Party. To what extent? I don't know. Is it just the primary? Maybe. Is it deeper, darker things that these Republicans did that Donald Trump knows about and is willing to spill? I mean, most people would think, oh, he'll never say anything. Not with Donald Trump. That motherfucker will say anything at any time, whether it's true or not. And that's all you need to do is have Donald Trump say, XYZ Republican did this, and all these fucking idiot uh, base people will believe him, whether it's true or not. So in realistic terms, these Republicans that stick by Donald Trump's side uh, either don't have anything else going for them, and they need to maintain the support of Donald Trump and his base, or they're just scared of him. He is a bully. There's no question about that. He uses blackmail. He uses intimidation. We see it every day. So I think that's really the problem with the Republicans and Donald Trump. That's the power that Donald Trump has over them. And you know, some people just fold up and curl up in a corner when bullies come up to them. There has to be one Republican who steps up, slaps him in the mouth and say, fuck yourself, uh, Donald Trump. I don't give a fuck what you do. But there's not much courage in our politicians. They're all scared to death. And you know what? You can never be successful if you live your life in fear. And that's where the Republican Party is now. And that's why the Republican Party doesn't even really exist anymore, at least like we knew it. It's fucked. It's done. They've hooked their wagon to Donald Trump. He has no power. He's going to be exposed for the criminal he is. And these people will go over the ledge with Donald Trump just like a bunch of lemmings. I guarantee you that's what's going to happen. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. So we know Joe Biden's got a lot on his plate. He's got the Build Back Better bill. He's got voting rights. A lot of this stuff is going to come to pass in January. But he's got one other issue that he hasn't really dealt with yet. And a reason is, I, I don't think he wants to even deal with it until after the Build Back Better bill and the voting rights thing is done. Because what he'll have to do is going to piss off a lot of people. It's going to make the people in this country happy, but it's going to piss off a lot of politicians. And he doesn't want to burn those bridges until he gets what he wants with Build Back Better and the voting rights. So what Joe Biden did 
was extended the student loan forbearance that was supposed to end at January 30th. Now he's extended it 90 days through May of 2022. So this this situation with the student loans, this problem, I know there's many people out there that say there's no problem. They took the loans and they fucking deserve to pay for it and whatever. But here's the deal. Joe Biden came out and said, I'm going to extend this. Now, he had told everybody that January 30 was the drop-dead date. He wasn't going to extend it anymore. But now he did. And his reasoning for that is because of Omicron. He did it in the first place because of COVID-19 and the pandemic. Now, if the pandemic was over, he'd have no excuse. But the pandemic is not over. It may be the worst of it yet to come. So he had that excuse, and he extended it to May 1st of 2022. The other reason he did it is because he hasn't come up with a resolution to the problem. There's a lot of talk out there about uh, the progressive Democrats wanting to forgive $50,000 of student loans for everybody, everybody with non-personal, non uh, private loans. These are government or public loans. He wants, they want him to forgive $50,000 per student, per student loan, I should say. Now, Joe Biden is all for forgiving some money, but uh, he only wants to do $10,000. And they've been going back and forth about this, but as I say, they really don't want to address this situation until after they get Build Back Better done and uh, the, the voting rights thing done. Because, see, if he does forgive 50000 or 10000 or 5000 that's going to piss off the Republicans. And that's going to throw a wrench into Build Back Better, throw a wrench into the voting rights, and nobody's going to be talking to anybody. So the smart thing, the smart play here is get those two things done first and then deal with the student loan problem. Now, now here's the thing. I have this argument with people all the time. I have two sons that went to college. We told them that we would pay for their education. And we're talking about 40 grand a piece, thereabouts, a lot of money. Not a lot of money compared to what some people owe in college, but you know, these were typical bachelor's degrees and universities, local universities, UMD, University of Minnesota, and that sort of thing. And my wife and I paid those off which wasn't easy, obviously, that's a lot of money, but we did. So when I'm talking about what I'm going to talk about here, understand I don't have an axe to grind. I'm not trying to enrich myself by pushing for this student loan forbearance and ultimately the forgiveness, whether it be 50000 or 10000 or 25000 whatever it is. I'm not going to get any money out of this. So that's not why I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you. The fact of the matter is, that is a good idea, to forgive a certain amount of money for all these people that hold student loans. First of all, first of all, college has gotten fucking ridiculous. Somehow, they've decided to gouge every American and make college a ridiculously expensive adventure. And then, because you can't afford it, you have to get these federal loans 
the tack on interest and make it even more difficult. I talked about this on one of my TikToks, and I had somebody comment on one of my posts, and they said, look, I'm 73 years old. I just paid off my college loans. Are you fucking kidding me? 73 years old, but I can see how it can be done. I think they should forgive $50,000 of every student loan, federal student loan there is. Now, there's going to be a lot of people out there that say, well, that's not fair. I paid my college loans. Well, I paid my college loans, too. The thing is, when I was in college, it wasn't nearly as expensive. We're talking 79, 80, 81, 82, that range. It was expensive for the time, but it wasn't crazy. It wasn't outrageous. I wasn't going in debt for the next 30 years. But I tell you this, when you're working on loans for kids nowadays, these loans are 25 years old. 25 years in length, 30 years in length. And then if you have forbearance, you extend it longer, you can be paying for these fucking things for 35 to 40 years. That's not a good position to put your future generations in. Like I say, people will tell me, well, I paid for mine. They should pay for those. They should learn a lesson by this. No, they got fucked in the deal. They had no choice about going to college and how much it was going to cost. They did it. They said, hey, here's these free, easy loans. Just take them, and then you can go to college and get a big job. Unfortunately, we've got a bunch of kids with debt on their backs of 40000 60000 100000 sometimes even more. They come out of college, and all they're qualified to get is a thirty-five dollars or $40,000 a year job. How in the fuck do you pay that back? If you were going to take a loan on something, anything, a house, a car, whatever, and you made $30,000 a year, are they going to let you loan that kind of money? No, because you're not qualified. You're going to, if you're making $35,000 a year, are you going to buy a $50,000 car? No, you're not, because you can't fucking afford it. So here's my point. I say forgive $50,000 for each and every federal loan out there to students. And here's the reason why. You can complain about they're getting something you didn't get, your kid didn't go to college, so why should they get a free ride? You can say that all fucking day. But the problem is, is you're not looking at the long game. You're not looking at the long game at all. Think about this. We've got all these millennials coming out. They are the future of this country. As we grow older and look at retiring, these are the people that are going to be taken over. If each and every one of them is saddled with debt, a slave to debt, what are they going to be able to buy? And these dumb fucks will say, well, that's their problem. They shouldn't have got into it. They should Listen, motherfucker, it's going to affect you. It's going to affect this country. And it's about time you pay attention to the long game here and understand what the fuck is up. I'm 61 years old. Say I have a big house. And at 70 years old, I want to go into something smaller and I want to sell my house. Okay? And it's a valuable house. And this is all hyperbole because I already live in a condo. I've already sold the house. But say I'm 70 years old, want to sell my house. Maybe it's half a million dollars. And I need somebody to buy it. Now, the prime group of people that are going to be looking at things like that in 10 years are millennials. Now, if each one of these millennials has fifty or $60,000 of debt, how are they going to afford my house? 
How are they going to qualify to buy my house? So if they're not qualified to buy my house, you know what happens? The value of my house drops. So as much as you're upset about these kids getting a break on their their student loans, think about it. It's going to affect you. When you go to sell your house and you've got a bunch of people that can't afford it or can't qualify for it, you're in fucking trouble. You're either going to stay in that house or you're going to sell it for a lot cheaper than you might have been able to. So maybe your $500,000 house is now 400000 or 300000 How are you going to like that? You didn't want to give them a break and now you lose hundred grand, maybe two hundred grand. You see what I'm saying? You got to think ahead. You got to look at the big picture. You got to understand how this country runs. And for all you business people, you're selling products or services or whatever you're doing. These millennials are going to be the people that are the majority of your clients and customers. If they can't afford to buy a good car or if they can't afford to buy big services, how is that going to affect you? Your business is going to suffer because you've got a bunch of people that can't afford shit. And that's what this country has done to those young people. So you can bitch and complain that you had to pay your school loans. But understand, if you don't forgive the loans now that are fucking outrageous and, as far as I'm concerned, even legal, you're going to pay the price in the long run. You are going to pay the price. And now nobody in this country can afford anything. The millennials are stuck with all these deep debts and they can't afford anything. They're not buying anything from you or buying your house, so you're stuck. The whole fucking country's screwed. Don't think about yourself. I'm tired of people being selfish and saying, well, it's me and it's not fair and somebody else got something I didn't get. Fuck you. Think about the whole country. Think about the economy. How is the economy going to go if nobody's buying anything or can't buy anything of any substance? Understand this country runs one way and it's successful in one way. If people are buying products and service and they keep the cash flow going, once that stops, we're all fucked. We're all fucked. And then you throw in on top of it that these politicians are taking away our tax money and giving it to the rich. What's that going to do? That's going to make us the serfs of this, uh, of this country. We'll be just struggling to get by. And all because you didn't want to forgive these loans. Yes, it's a lot of money. But you know the other thing it's going to do? It's probably the quickest way to stimulate the economy. And let's be honest, the economy's going great guns right now. In spite of what you think, it's going very well. Yes, we have some inflation. That will go away. It always does. But the economy's doing well. You want it to do better? Forgive all these loans and things will move amazingly well after that. So take a look at the long haul. Take a look at the long game before you start whining about student loan forgiveness. All right, the House Select Committee has subpoenaed the phone records of a number of people around Trump, his cronies, his acolytes, his hangers-on. Now, one such person is former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Of course, he's a conspiracy theorist. He's a treasonist. He's a special kind of piece of shit. This guy is ridiculous. And he was pardoned by Donald Trump, of all things. (laughs) Oh, fuck. 
So Michael Flynn doesn't like the idea that somebody's going to get a hold of his phone records. He doesn't think it's right. So what's he do? He does what every Trumplefuck does. He files a lawsuit in hopes to getting it stopped or at the very least delayed and delayed and delayed. That's all they do. They know they're going to get burned in the end, but they might as well make it tough on you while you're doing it. So they're going to delay it. So he files this lawsuit. He asked for a, uh, um, well, what the hell was he asking for? He, he, he just trying to stop these phone records of being sent to the House Select Committee. We know what's going to be in it. We know what his brother did at the Pentagon. We know that what he was doing with the insurrectionist, it's going to expose a lot. Of course, he doesn't want that revealed. So he does this lawsuit. He tries to get a restraining order so these won't be released. Now, he's assuming he's going to lose, but he figures he might be able to get a year out of this by just spreading it out. Well, it's funny. The court systems have apparently gotten hip to this bullshit strategy of Donald Trump and all his people around him, and they're getting fucking tired of it. So what happens is Mike Flynn files this lawsuit, hoping to get some extra time, but you know what? The next day, the very next day, yesterday, the courts come out and say, Mike, Mike, Mikey, go fuck yourself. Because you don't have a case here, they can release all this stuff. Now, I suppose it's conceivable he might be able to appeal it, but the same thing is going to happen. You saw how quickly it happened to Donald Trump with him trying to keep the National Archives information undercover. It may take a little while longer than if you just turned them over, but it's going to get turned over, and the courts are tired of these ridiculous long delays, especially when it has to do with insurrection, a very important situation in our country, a very dangerous situation. So they understand the timeliness of it, and they are going to work hard to get it released. But on this one instance... That went to the court. The court looked at it one day and said, yeah, you have no case here. Go fuck yourself. Turn over the uh, phone records. So that's kind of interesting. That's kind of fun. And Mike Flynn, as much as he yaps, he's got to be pretty quiet right about now because that isn't what he was expecting. Then the House Select Committee has extended an invitation, as we know, to... uh, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, a sitting member of the House of Representatives. That's the first one they've done. An actual guy sitting in the House of Representatives has been asked to testify by the select committee in the House of Representatives. Oh, I got to bet that uh, lunch in the cafeteria is a little awkward, huh, when these guys all get together? Well, of course, Scott Perry says, I'm not showing up. I don't have to show up. This is... Well, of course, he has to show up, but of course, he's going to deny it. Well, now today, actually yesterday, the House Select Committee invited Jim Jordan, Representative Jim Jordan, the second sitting member of the U.S. House of Representatives. And here's the thing with Jim Jordan. He's a talkative guy. He loves talking. He loves hearing himself talk. He loves to rant and rave and lie and threaten. Yeah, he's a regular chatty Kathy. He even said recently when somebody asked him, he goes, I don't care. I, I don't have anything to hide. 
Okay, Jim, show up and testify in front of the House Select Committee. Somebody asked him, I said, well, are you going to do it? You're going to do it? And he said, uh, well, I'm reviewing the letter right now. <laughs> yeah, right, Jim. You're, you're not going to willingly testify in front of the House Select Committee. I mean, they've already said the reason they want to talk to you is because they know you've had a couple or several conversations with Donald Trump during the insurrection. They've also watched you on TV deny it, then admit it, then said you did it before, and then you did it after. I always talk to Donald Trump. This isn't crazy. This is weird. You're just trying to make it about me. Fuck you, Jim Jordan. The fact is, you were coordinating a lot of things. We know what you sent to Mark Meadows, that little text that suggested the uh, overthrowing of the government and how they might do it and why it's a good idea. So we know where your mind is at, Jim Jordan. You're on the verge of being indicted yourself. So Jim Jordan's not going to willingly testify. I may be wrong about that because he may think he has no other way out. But he won't testify, in my mind, if I just take a guess right now. Now, some people have come to my, my post with comments and said, well, you know, <laughs> you know, Congress can't subpoena their own people. It's kind of unprecedented, but that's not true. There's no rule that says you can't subpoena sitting members of the House of Representatives. They can be subpoenaed. Now, it's a little stickier situation because, again, it's never really been done at all that I know of. And the reason is, is because most representatives in the House of Representatives have a little more integrity. If they're asked to show up and testify, well, they show up and testify. I mean, think about this. Think about how ridiculous this is. You've got people that come, like Jim Jordan and uh, Scott Perry coming to work every day in the Capitol, in the House of Representatives chamber. People in that chamber, Republicans and Democrats alike, have said, we'd like you to testify. And they say they can't. <laughs> well, you're in the goddamn chambers every goddamn day. You're sitting across the aisle from these people. You can't testify. Well, it certainly isn't because you don't have gas money or that you don't have time to get there because you're already fucking there. You're not talking because you're afraid that you're going to implicate yourself. So they may end up testifying and pleading the fifth, but that doesn't matter. Now you're just admitting that you're guilty of something. And once you've identified what you're guilty of, the area that you're guilty of, they can focus their investigation there. They've already talked to 300 people or more. They already know what you're going to say. They have the text and the emails and all this shit. They know what you're going to say, and they have proof that you said it. So even if you don't show up, even if you don't testify, it's not a big deal. Personally, I don't think that the House Select Committee really believes that they were going to show up anyway. I just don't think they were. I think they wanted to expose them for what they are and keep pulling out these bits of information. And then when they go on TV after the January 1st break, they will start getting a lot more information out. Then they're going to like to talk. Because now they got to protect themselves. I really don't think the select committee expects Jim Jordan or Mark Meadows 
or uh, Scott Perry to talk. They just want it out there. And, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, they're probably going to um, call for Donald Trump to testify. Donald Trump Jr., probably Louis Gohmert, probably Lauren Boebert, probably Marjorie Taylor Greene, probably all these clowns are going to be asked to testify. Maybe none of them do. But realistic terms, they don't really need them to. They've got all the information they need. And when it starts getting exposed to the public, that's going to put pressure on the DOJ to do something. I mean, the House Select Committee has even said, we are probably going to refer things to the Department of Justice, things that we see where laws have been broken. It will go to the DOJ. Then the DOJ will have to look at it, see if it's legitimate to charge, and then they will charge it. As I've said before, it looks like Merrick Garland isn't doing much, and maybe he isn't. But he's going to have to do something eventually because he's going to look very bad, and there's going to be a lot of heat, not only from the general public, but from other politicians, Democrats especially. He's going to have to do something. All of this stuff that's going on is far too flagrant and far too dangerous for this country to just let it fly. Because you know it will happen again, and maybe next time it will work. Merrick Garland can't be responsible for that happening. He won't let that happen. He's too uh, principled of a man. While he doesn't want to cross over too many norms, when it goes this far over the norms, he has to do something. So, don't expect Jim Jordan to show up. I mean, he might because he's one of these guys that's very arrogant but very stupid and thinks he can talk his way out of anything. And he thinks he can beat people by just talking over them. That's the one thing about these Trumplicans I love is what they do to try to win. Their strategy in a debate is just to keep talking, don't stop talking, and try to talk over you. I've had people try to do that to me. Unfortunately, talking is my thing. I'm pretty good at it. It's the only thing I'm good at, but I can talk. And these fuckers are not going to talk over me. And I guarantee you one thing, the House Select Committee and some of the people on it aren't going to let these clowns talk over them. There's going to be too much evidence, too much information, and they are going to be overwhelmed. These people are nervous now because they know they're cornered and there's really no way out. They can turn to their Lord and Savior, Donald Trump, but he's nowhere around. He's not going to help them. (laughs) Just no way he's going to help them. So things are going to start get interesting now. You're going to see more people ask. And I think that's a, uh, I don't know, they could have just subpoenaed them right away. But I think they wanted to take it a step at a time, mainly because they're just trying to expose these people for who they are, as opposed to really expecting them to testify. But that's not to say they won't subpoena them. They certainly can subpoena them, and then we can see what goes on there. That might be more problematic for Merrick Garland to uh, charge a sitting member of Congress. Again, that really hasn't been done, and it hasn't been done because we've never seen anything like this before. So that's, that's the balance there. You don't normally charge a sitting member of Congress, but we've never seen a sitting member of Congress try to overthrow the country. So that's a tough spot to put Merrick Garland in. He has no choice. He's got to do something if the evidence is there and the proof is there that they, in fact, did that. 
If he doesn't react to that, he's going to look horrible and his life is over because everybody in this country will be in his shit just like they're in Joe Manchin's shit. The uh, politicians will be in his shit and they'll be forced. He'll end up having to lose his job. And a guy with as much principle as Merrick Garland doesn't want to lose his job because of uh, his unwillingness to do his job. And that's what it would be. So (laughs) it's going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes out. But the bottom line is we're seeing a lot of Republicans, or I should say Trumplifucks, that are getting nervous. You see them upstanding now, trying to upstanding in in front of a podium, trying to uh, show their strength. I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene recently standing up there, and she looked scared shitless, and she should, because not only is she a criminal, she's the dumbest among them. Well, not the dumbest. Lauren Boebert is probably the dumbest. Uh, Paul Gosar is probably the fucking craziest, and uh, Louis Gohmert someplace between crazy and stupid. Jim Jordan's just a sycophant piece of shit punk. And he's going to get his ass beat, too, in front of Congress. We're finally going to start seeing some activity and start seeing people become accountable and people being taken to task. It's been five years, and it's about time. But trust me, just be patient. It's coming. It is coming. All right, we're going to wrap things up for the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for stopping by, spending the time to listen to me. Again, if you have questions or comments like the folks at the early part of the show did, just email me directly at rationalboomer at gmail.com. Go to anchor.fm, look for Rational Boomer Podcast, and you can leave a voicemail as well. Always look forward to talking to you, and I will always do my best at responding one way or another. All right, you have a great day, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.